like to uh, talk now about this integration process of, of as we move from the conditions of the retreat out into the world. And it's a kind of funny thing, isn't it, that we talk about the world out there <laughs> as if somehow we're not in the world. <laughs> but clearly, we've created conditions here that are not otherworldly, but <laughs> that's certainly different than what we're usually engaged in in our daily life. And that really is the purpose, is what we actually create, you know, and especially when we come into a building that is not used on a, in an ongoing way as a retreat center, you know, we actually come into the building and we make something happen here that is for our retreat. So we actually create the conditions. Um, we... Uh, like the food, for example. You know, the food that we have here is a support for our meditation. It's clean, it's mostly organic, it's, it's light, it's simple, it's not heavy food, it's, it's tailor-made, uh, uh, the menu is designed just for the, the purposes of meditation. Um, Donna makes the menu so that we, you know, we can be assured to have that support. Um, the, the, the structure of the retreat, the, the, the uh, timetable, um, your rooms, um, the place, of course, the place being so private and quiet. It's particularly uh, chosen for the purposes of our needs. And, you know, it just goes on and on. You know, the bells, everything, you know, it's all support for us to be able to go deep into our contemplation and our meditation, uh, the silence. The silence is a huge support. Can you imagine if we, you know, really did, you know, have a couple meditation sessions and then we just hung out, you know, at lunch or dinner, whatever, you know, it would be a very, very different experience. So all of that is set up so that we can really look deeply and through the silence and the practices and the teachings, all of that go into this uh, support for, for contemplation. So, um, so that's why it is different. <laughs> it's not, this isn't what we usually engage in in our worldly life. However, this is anicca. You know, it's impermanent as all things are impermanent. So we come in, we create it, we, we create it together, and then we leave and we break it all down. You know, I, lo it's, it's, I love it, you know, I mean, put the, the sheet up of all the jobs that need to be done for the breaking the down, you know, putting things away and making it back into wood acres so that the next group could come or the next, you know, and then that they take, they take, uh, uh, it takes a certain form for that group. Um, maybe some of you have noticed the, f the, f the flowers, particularly the tulips, you know. The tulips, we, like, the, it seems like uh, Susan bought some tulips and Don and I bought some tulips. It seems like they came in about the same time from wherever they came in to Regina. And um, they came here on Friday. Did we start Friday? Saturday. They came here on Saturday. 
full bloom, you know, just like the most beautiful, you know, red, fresh, plump, moist tulips, you know, just in their glory. And we've just watched them decay over the over the week. And I have I had some tulips in my room and it just there was something about the timing that today it is just dried petals on the you know, all, all along the bottom of where the tulips were, just little stems, and, and I noticed Susan kept the stems with the little seeds because there's something about tulips, and they, you can just see the whole process, and it's beautiful the whole way, right to the end, you know, and then just seeing this, I just, I actually, was, I, when I was scooping up the dead, um, the dried up leaves of the petals of the tulips, I just started chanting the Anicca chant, you know, Anicca Watadam. Uh, I have a very bad memory for the Pali, but the Anicca chant. Um, and uh, just, just that reflection that all things that are conditioned arise and pass away. And, and it was beautiful, you know. It was as beautiful as when we brought the tulips and when I first saw the tulips in, in, in this particular form, this formation. And, and so when we can relate to life, our, our life, in every moment, every moment, seeing that the forms come and they go, they come and they go every instant, and can we bring that kind of recognition, that kind of respect, that, that deep understanding that this is it and this formation, the way it is now, is very precious and and has a, uh, both an a, a impermanent nature but also a timeless nature. Because in that moment, it is timeless. It is, it is all, it is, that's its eternity right there, and then it's going to go. So, so this, is, this is a reflection that we've been practicing and focusing on this whole week as this uh, Dharma wisdom to take as we go back. It's the same. There's no difference between what we've been experiencing here and what we experience out there. It's all the same. It's just paying attention to the mind moments of what's happening in the mind, what's happening in the feelings, what's happening in the bodies, and how am I grasping and reacting and getting caught how am I getting caught? We're always looking at the same thing. And what gives rise? What are the conditions that give rise to this, this, this discontent, this dissatisfaction, this dis-ease? So, so, the, so our, practice, our practice is this mindful attention, is the attending moment to moment to moment and looking at the same thing of this attachment, this attachment, how we get, how... You know, whenever I say the word attachment, my hand just clutches, you know, this, and the whole, the muscles tighten, and there's a contraction, and the clenching, and the whole body becomes dense and gross, and that's how we know we're attached. Mm. It's very obvious as we become more and more sensitive to that, to that tightening and the relaxation, tightening and the relaxation. This tightening and the relaxation, too is the anicca, you know, the, it comes and it goes, it comes and it goes, this, this dualistic universe that we live in, this, it rises and passes, it comes and it goes, they, they work together, they play together like the waves on the ocean, they crest and they crash and they crest and they crash. 
And so in the same way, this all this Dharma art, you know, such an amazing expression of the of the teachings. You know, I every year, and those of you who don't 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 this is your first time, you might have been surprised by these creations appearing on the tables as the days went by. Um, this is it seems to be a ritual. And, it, and I just want you to know that there was never any invitation for that, ever, from the very beginning. It just, we just put the tables out, and all of a sudden, things started appearing on the tables. <laughs> it just happened like that. And I've never said anything about it in all the years in terms of encouraging it or discouraging it. We just put the tables out and see what happens to the tables. <laughs> And this year, actually, it was two or three days before things started appearing. I thought, oh, people probably, you know, are tired of that. And, you know, there's probably, this will be the year where the tables just, be, they stay as empty tables. <laughs> and, um, and then these golf balls <laughs> appeared. <laughs> and, and it was like, oh, that's interesting, <laughs> golf balls. And there were just some golf balls. And then, but then, I don't know if you noticed, the golf balls actually took different shapes. You know, for a few hours they'd be like this, and then the, they, they'd change to something else, and then a scarf would appear, and these golf balls were in it. And there's these very interesting <laughs> anicca around the golf balls. And then it's just something seemed to start. You know, it just kept going from there. And it's quite a display, you know. Um, and it just happens. It's just something that, um, where does it come from? You know, where does it come from? And I wanted to share something from uh, 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 this new book from uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, this um, uh, man, boy, man, young man who, who came to uh, America in the 70s from, from Tibet and really created quite a storm in North America in the 70s, and uh, died too as a young man. Um, and there was in a recent book that's been published called True Perception, The Path of Dharma Art. And there are 28 talks uh, that he gave on art uh, during his uh, teachings, time of, his lifetime of teachings. And uh, the, f the first thing that uh, this reviewer says, he says, uh, well, in, the, in uh, Trungpa's book, it says this is not a book about art. You have to start paying attention to reality first. Pay attention to reality first. He says, um, once we stop rejecting the world, the world begins to pounce on us. Symbolism is imposed on us, right? It's just everywhere. Realization and perceptions of all kinds of realities begin to take shape from the world pouncing on us. There, there is symbolism right and left and front and back. When our eyes are open and we are paying attention to reality, everywhere. It's everywhere. He says that people often start with art and discover dharma after that, but our approach is different. We begin with dharma, and then we try to find if there's any art in it. 
So I think that in some ways our entire retreat has been a focus on this. If we want to use the metaphor of art and creativity and really as we let go, as we open, as we're not so caught in the constructions of our mind and the mental formations and limited by the mental formations, then the whole world opens up and its creation is happening everywhere. And so sometimes that the, the person, the human being, feels compelled to grab a few things here and there and make more form into art. We call art. We call it art. <laughs> but it's just more creation coming through a human being. And here we have you know, all these things that were, were brought in from nature, from the natural world, and made into more formation that have an impact on the being, on our consciousness, on our heart, in different ways, through the unique expression of different people who felt compelled or drawn to do that. And it's not to say that the people who didn't do that are less than or the people who did are more than because the people who maybe didn't bring anything in brought their own participation through the observation and the, and the, 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 the engaging with and the, the whole gift of realization and understanding that came through the participation, which is absolutely vital if there's any kind of sharing and joining and learning. And <laughs> we need all, everybody needs to participate, whether you're the, whether you're the one who's making the art or, or looking at the art and commenting and feeling and sensing. And then something's inspired in you in another way, and that comes out, and it's this circle, this creation, a form, unique form. This is also from Trungpa. When you begin to abandon all possibilities of any kind of ref reference point that would comfort you, tell you to do something, help you to see through everything, make you a better or greater person, when you lose all those reference points, including your ambition, the strangest thing takes place. It's as if you were suspended in outer space without a spacesuit or a rocket ship. You are just floating and circulating around the planets forever and ever. That experience of suspension is the canvas or the blackboard where you paint your pictures, your symbolism. It is the basic ground. You can only begin from there. When you let go of all of your reference points of trying to be somebody, trying to make something, trying to build something, create something, then true creation comes into being. And we call that sacred art, or dharma art, sacred art. Because it's not, it's not through, oh, this would be a good idea, or yes, people would really like this, or if people knew I did it, they'd really like me, they'd think I'm a great artist, or fill in the blank. We're just using artist at the moment, whatever you identify with. So if people only knew I did that, or if um, they really knew who I was, or if they really knew that I was, I couldn't do art at all, but I'm just trying, you know. It's like whatever that, it's like sacred art or dharma art, which I'm actually referring to as everything, <laughs> is, not, is egoless. 
that's what that's what it comes through somewhere else it's connected it's in union with it's an expression of that ground that basic ground we start there we start there so so we've been trying we've been the whole of the retreat we're working with clearing the space <laughs> like clearing the all the the clutter the 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 dirt the, the all the the junk on the canvas <laughs> of who we take ourselves to be and see if we can come to this, might even call it a zero point, or this empty kind of void place, this, this white canvas. And then we see what wants to come forth from there. It's not like we stay as a, like a white void, empty canvas, you know, then that wouldn't be any fun. And that isn't really what happens anyhow. But what happens is a manifestation of all these things that are all around us, this, this sacred expression that's come into this sacred space. You know, this whole space has become, each day, you can feel it more and more sacred. The first day, you know, empty tables, we're all sleepy and tired and restless and caught up in a lot of the stuff that happened when we, before we got here. And, Oh, am I really going to get into the retreat? And oh, this is so hard. And I don't really. And then all that starts to clear, clear and clear. And people, there's more, more space and more openness. People settle. It's more calm. The art appears. The space becomes more purified, more open. It's more still. And you can just feel it. The whole shift that happens. It's beautiful. You know, this is what we. This is what we call the sacred. And we can create this. We can generate this. We can generate this in our lives. We can bring this into our lives. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because that's really what I feel the practice is in daily life, is, is how can we bring these conditions? How do we generate these conditions in our lives as householders? We're not, we're not monastics. We're not, we haven't chosen... Uh, uh, at least for the moment, maybe you know, next week uh, a few of you will say, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm going to a monastery, I don't know. But at least at the moment, you know, we're, all, we're all householders and trying to make our way in the world with relationships and families and money and sexual uh, difficulties or interests, um, you know, all, all the uh, work, our jobs. Um, I mean, it's a, and the political situations and social situations, it's a, you know, pretty complicated place. You know, given give, if you compare it now for the moment that you know how we've just cleared that out for the most part, ex, you know as much as we could, <laughs> except for what is still remaining, the residue of what's in our minds. You know, so so it all comes back. It all comes back because it's it's our it's like it's the karmic momentum of what we've generated in our lives. We clear it out for a week, and now we go back to it. It's all going to be there, folks. <laughs> it's all there. All the karmic uh, momentum that you've generated is all waiting for you. Right now, it's been going through your mind stream. It hasn't been so physically present, but it's all there. <laughs> and so, so, so then the, the teachings are encouraging us to look at all of that, look at everything that we've created, 
look at what we've generated and see that you actually have choice. <laughs> you can make choices. You can make choices for conditions that are going to support your awakening, that are going to support your liberation. When the teachings come to heart, when you start really getting a sense of what this is about, the Dharma just lands right in the center and then it reflects everything back to you from the perspective of Dharma. Is this helpful for me to feel more free, to bring more happiness, to bring, to bring more ease, to bring more connection, to bring more love, to bring more balance? Is this supporting me? And, and it's, at some point, it may even become kind of ruthless. We have, may have to make some choices that are hard, that are difficult. We may have to, they may be choices that get, we have to let go of things that have been important to us or people that we've really cared about. But something else is happening. We're being called from a different, <laughs> a different place, a different voice, a different sense of things that is being imbued, that is imbued by the Dharma, by wisdom and compassion. The pull of the truth, of love, of wisdom and compassion. And, it, and, it, and when, we're, when we're feeling and sensing from that place, and of course we're going to see what isn't reflecting love, wisdom, compassion, harmony, connection. It's all going to be very obvious. We're going to feel it. We're going to feel the tension. We're going to rub up against it. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna feel it, and then we'll have to choose whether we want to keep moving into that or whether we don't. And if we find, and it happens quite a lot, that the uh, the circumstance, the universe kind of says, "Here you are, and you can't move away from it." And that may be if we get sick or a loved one gets sick or uh, is dying or uh, you have children or uh, there's something in your, your work circumstances, uh, financial circumstances or other reasons why you need to stay in a, in a job. Um, all different kinds of things in the universe says you're going to have to be in here for a while. Then what are you going to do? How are you going to bring the, the deepest values of your being to that circumstance, your love, your wisdom, your compassion, your wish for harmony. So it's, it's always, it's always, it's that, and that's the choice. It's like, it's not that then we don't have any choice. <laughs> the choice is, okay, I'm in this situation. How am I going to make the best of it? And not from a passive resignation, like, oh, well, this is my lot. You know, I'm stuck here. I may as well just make the best of it. <laughs> not that. <laughs> you know, from, from the place of true connection, true awareness that says, okay, I need to watch my mind. I need to watch my reactivity. I need to watch. I need to make choices here. And the, the five precepts are so good. You know, they're really a foundation practice for us around, uh, all around harming. Those five precepts are all around living with compassion and non-harming. You know, not, not being engaged in any activity that uh, feeds killing or war. 
or any kind of um, uh, conditions that support that, you know, in any way that you want to reflect on that, maybe even where, where you put your money. You don't want to, you know, support the, the killing of human beings. You know, not, not stealing or taking things that don't belong to you. You're living with renunciation and simplicity, making choices around that, not feeding that greed and that uh, accumulating things. You know, and sexuality, huge thing for us. How are we engaging in our sexuality? Are we doing things that are causing harm to ourselves or other people? You know, making choices around this. And speech, huge around speech. How, I mean, the Buddha speaks about speech more than anything else in his discourses. You know, the impact of our words. How are we using our words? How, what's, how are we talking? Are we engaging in gossip? Harsh, harsh speech. Speech telling lies. Deceiving. Oh, so important. We can, when we look at this, we start making choices around this. I'm not going to engage in gossip. I'm not going to be around people. I'm not going to hang around people who are gossiping and, and talking about other people in ways that aren't kind and caring and loving. I'm not going to collude in that anymore. You know, this kind of ruthless, it, it starts to feel you get ruthless about it, you know, about what matters. You know, drugs and alcohol and substances and our relationship to that. You know, seeing that when I do that, I can't think as clearly. I'm not as attentive. I can't be as aware, and I make bad choices. You know, I get confused, and I find myself getting into things I wish I hadn't gotten into. And so these are all, these five precepts really become basis, the basis of deep consideration and reflection for us. The sila, our morality, one of the baskets of, the, of Buddhist teaching, sila, uh, samadhi, the meditation, and panya, the wisdom, those three working together. So we're looking in every corner. We look in every corner of our lives because we want our, uh, we want our being to be aligned with our deepest values, the deepest of our dharma values. And this is really what creates our path. When we talk about a spiritual path, it's the, these, these, these intentions and these choices and this energy for the Dharma, this is what, what carves our path, creates a path. The Buddha laid down the Eightfold Noble Path, which has guidelines for us, and each one of these are delineated in the Eightfold Path, but eventually, we really need to make it our own. The path, we make our own path. The, we have the map of the Eightfold Path, but that's just a guideline. Again, it's just a, 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 a structure that gives support for us as we find our own way. We find our, our, our own true spirituality and what that looks like. And again, the, the Dharma art is a manifestation of that uniqueness. Each person finds a unique expression of their path. I wanted to read this from, um, again, from David White, that wonderful, really has wonderful insight. Um, so he's reflecting on what a path is, and he's referring to Anthony Machado, who apparently was a, um, a Christian um, saint, and uh, uh, 
18th century, I think, 19th century. He says, the image that Anthony Machado had of life was that there's actually no path laid out for you at all. He says, that's not what destiny is about. It's not like there's a path that you're following uh, and then you just have to find that destined path for yourself. He says, there's no path at, uh, at all. It has something to do with the actual magic of the touch of your feet on the path itself. And that's the path you make as you tread on the ground. <laughs> Which is why we do walking meditation. <laughs> One touch of your foot on the ground. Joseph Campbell said a marvelous thing. He said, if you can see your path laid out ahead of you, A, B, C, D, E, then you know definitely that's not your life. That's someone else's life that they've arranged for you. <laughs> your own life you make with every contact and every step. It's more like traveling over the sea in which you'd, in which you'd have your vessel and your sails set in conversation with the elements. Set in conversation with the elements. And you'd have a bearing that you'd run, in a way, and then behind you, you could see where you'd come from, but it would be just like the wake of a boat, and after a while, the wake itself would disappear too. Finding our own path. That's why this, these teachings are called a pathless path. <laughs> the pathless path. He says, David says, it seems to me that life is a cycle of making a home in the world and then just when you've got all the furniture in place and you're tacking up that last picture there's a knock on the door there's a knock on the door and you're out and you say but I've just got and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever you're out there's a line in the in a D.H. Lawrence poem where he said who is knocking who's that knocking at my door who is that knocking at my door? It's someone come to do me harm. No, no, it is the three strange angels. Admit them, admit them. You knock that knock on the door and you're out. We're always out. <laughs> Just when we think we're getting settled, <laughs> we're thrown out again can't have it. We can't have it our way. And so it's this, you know, this kind of letting yourself be washed by the ocean, the waves of the ocean, like just the way the sands on the shore are washed. And they tumble and they take different shape and form and then eventually they start to glitter. Their truest truest element starts to shine. We let ourselves be washed in the ocean of existence. Otherwise, we're not being true to our purpose here, I think. There's something much deeper, much profound. 
And if you can't find your way, sometimes we just feel kind of lost or we feel, yeah, that would be great, you know, if I could find my path or if I could feel, you know, my feet touching the ground and, you know, and it just feels like it's too much not knowing, you know, because when we let go and we clear away, it's like we find ourselves, you know, not with the familiar and you're not with what we know and it can, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to hang out here, you know, I thought there was a path and it just, I feel like I'm falling through a hole, you know, I'm not going to hang out here. And so then we can, you know, grab on again to that which we know and recognize, right? And then we're kind of back in that old form, that old condition again, and then we're not happy again, and then we go, okay, I'm supposed to let go, and we let go, and then we fall into this unknown, this uncertainty, and we feel uncomfortable, and we go grab on again, it's the mortar and the bricks and mortar, we reconstruct everything again, we're not happy, and then we just, you know, cycle around like this, so at some point, and this is what happens for spiritual practitioners, is you finally say, I just got to let go into the hole. I've got to let go into that darkness, into that unknowing. And uh, good old David White has a wonderful poem for this called Sweet Darkness. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision is gone, no part of the world can find you. It's time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your own aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. So we begin to let go because unless you want to just be small. And that gets, you know, it gets uncomfortable. We feel the tightness of, we feel, we feel tight there in the smallness. It's just natural that we would want to expand because we want to come home to our true nature, to our being that we are, which is boundless, which is expansive, which is connected. <coughs> We want to know that. And so the spiritual longing, the spiritual pull takes us home to our true home. That's the only reason we do this difficult practice, because we know, we know. So I'd like us to do, this is why I've asked you to bring some paper and pencil, because I just want us to do a little um, exercise while we feel connected to the truth of this. And before you actually begin to write, 
I just want you first to just do a little meditation reflection on what I'm going to ask you to consider. I want to have you reflect, and then I want you to write what you're, what, what's coming to you so that you actually have something tangible for yourself. So I want you to take a few minutes, just maybe one or two minutes before you begin to write, and reflect on one, two, three, maybe three things that are not supporting your awakening, your liberation in your life right now. Just a couple things that come to mind that you might be ready to let go of. Not that you have to let go of it, but you could consider, just this, we're bringing in a consideration, if you're ready to let go. It might be a very small thing. It, it could be old clothes that you've been holding on to and it's time to get some new ones, you know, or cleaning up some clutter in the garage that just, you know, can't get your car in there. And what are you hanging on to this stuff for anyhow? might be a friend. might be a friend that just is pulling you down. Maybe the, the, the food, the choices of food, or your exercise, or lack of watching too much TV. You know, whatever it is, some habits. might be bigger than that. That's for you to consider. So just taking a little time and, and just consider that. And then when you feel ready, write down. It would be great if you could come up with three things. If not, that's all right. So it would take about three or four minutes now. want to begin writing. Sometimes the writing helps bring some of the ideas forth. It might just be a mind state. <laughs>
just take another minute, and this is just the beginning. You can, can certainly keep this list going. <laughs> so, way to get this, the reflection going. Or it's even a commitment to let go of something in the future. You know, maybe there is a job or something that you know it's coming to an end, and you say, okay, yeah, this is something I'm going to let go of. I can see it's coming towards an end now. Whatever it is, kind of a... And now I'd like you to do the same with about three things that are supporting you in your life right now, that are supporting this coming alive, bringing connection, bringing love, wisdom, freedom, awakening, those conditions that are moving you towards your deepest values. as you write them, actually feel the impact that these conditions have in your life. Maybe you can feel the support that they give you as you bring them to your consciousness. The energy, the vitality, the love, the courage, the strength. And hopefully there are a lot of things 
<laughs> and if they're not, I hope this is part of your contemplation because you want this list to be really long. <laughs> this is your net, your safety net. <laughs> Again, just take another minute here. You can expand this list later. want you to take this piece of paper and hold it like a piece of treasure and put it on the altar of your heart. <laughs> hold on to it and let it work with work in your heart. Let it work on you. Let it be medicine. Medicine for your finding your path. Making your path. Because what, what can happen so easily is we get caught in worldly ideas, cultural ideas, cultural expectations, expect expectations of what we think other people want, us, want from us or need from us, and we want to please, we so much want to please and, and be loved as if we're not lovable already. We can get caught in that, and so we lose touch, we lose connection. And there's this way that the culture sets up certain kinds of ways of being against other kinds of ways of being. And uh, sometimes we can look at that as kind of a masculine-feminine issue. It's one, one frame of reference, that the sort of the more masculine qualities of intelligence or strength or um, uprightness, uh, ambition, um, um, uh, success, you know, all these different four, uh, ideas of success are, are, are cherished in some way. You know, and then the feminine, some of those principles of softness and vulnerability and emotion and relational um, um, quiet wisdom, you know, quiet expression, expressions of wisdom, sometimes those are diminished. And, and so for women... Uh, sometimes we can diminish ourselves because we think the way we are or the qualities that we have aren't really valuable compared to what is expressed in the culture, in the world. And the same for men. You know, men who have the more soft or sensitive, um, quiet sensibilities can diminish themselves because they think they're not, you know, like they're supposed to be, like, you know, this archetype of the 
what, what's successful in the world. And so these, these qualities get pitted up against each other. And so we, we may not see ourselves or value ourselves very well in that respect. So I want to bring this up because um, I, I want to read this. Um, it's called the, a very, the Very Short Sutra on the Meeting of the Buddha and the Goddess. And, and I'm not, maybe a few of you heard it, but I just love this so much that I want to indulge you. <laughs> Uh, by Rick Fields, and it really kind of brings to light this very issue that we're dealing with in terms of valuing ourselves and our choices and what matters in our life and, and being courageous enough to express that in whatever form that manifests through us. And it goes like this. Thus I have made up. Once the Buddha was walking along the forest path in the oak grove at Ojai, California, <laughs> walking without arriving anywhere or having any thought of arriving or not arriving, and lotuses shining with the morning dew miraculously appeared under every step soft as silk beneath the toes of the Buddha. When suddenly... Out of the turquoise sky, dancing in front of his half-shut, inward-looking eyes, shimmering like a rainbow or a spider's web, transparent as the dew on a lotus flower, the goddess appeared, quivering like a hummingbird in the air before him. She, for she surely was a she, as the Buddha could clearly see. <laughs> with his eye of discriminating awareness, <laughs> was mostly red in color, though when the light shifted, she flashed like a rainbow. She was naked except for the usual flower ornaments goddesses wear. <laughs> her long blue hair was deep blue, her two eyes fathomless pits of space, and her third eye a bloodshot ring of fire. The Buddha folded, folded his hands together and greeted the goddess thus, O oh, goddess, why are you blocking my path? Before I saw you, I was happily going nowhere. <laughs> now I'm not sure where to go. <laughs> you can go around me, said the goddess, twirling on her heels like a bird darting away but just a little way away. Or you can come after me. This is my forest too. You can't pretend I'm not here. With that, the Buddha sat, supple as a snake, solid as a rock, beneath a bow tree that sprang full-leaved to shade him. Perhaps we should have a chat, he said. <laughs> At the time of the morning star, I penetrated reality. And now, not so fast, Buddha. I am reality. The earth stood still. The oceans paused. The wind listened. A thousand arahats, bodhisattvas, and dakinis magically appeared to hear what would happen in the conversation. I know I take my life in my hands, said the Buddha. But I am known as the fearless one, so here it goes. And he and the goddess 
without further words, exchanged glances, like rays like sunbeams, shot forth so bright that even Saraputra, the all-seeing one, had to turn away. And then they exchanged mind, and there was a great silence as vast as the universe that contained everything. And then they exchanged bodies and clothes, and the Buddha arose as the goddess, and the goddess arose as the Buddha. (laughs) And so back and forth for a hundred thousand kalpas. If you meet the Buddha... You meet the goddess. And if you meet the goddess, (laughs) you meet the Buddha. Not only that, this, the Buddha is the goddess. The goddess is the Buddha. And not only that, this, the Buddha is emptiness. The goddess is bliss. And that is what and what not you are. It's true. So here comes the mantra of the goddess and the Buddha, the unsurpassed non-dual mantra. Just to say this mantra, just to hear this mantra once, just to hear one word of this mantra once makes everything the way it is truly okay. This non-dual mantra. Staying connected to the non-dual, not living in the world of opposites, going beyond, going beyond. So I'm going to end with a song that I want to play for you. And I'd like you to listen to the song in a meditative way, just as we have been Uh, listening and being and sharing and creating and reflecting and um, enjoy. This is from um, a a woman, well, it's a group named Bliss uh, English, and um, I, I think that her work is sacred. So, so listen to the words if you can. adjust the volume if it needs adjusting.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.